today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We have been broadcasting live from the Mackinac Policy Conference for years at WDET, but this is the first time ever that we are broadcasting live from the Grand Hotel with November elections just around the corner. In Detroit and in a lot of communities in Southeast Michigan, voters are making big decisions in November about their municipal leaders, local bond proposals, and more. Voters depend on thousands of election officials and poll workers across the state to make sure that those elections go smoothly and that their ballot is counted fairly and accurately. But this year is bringing some unique challenges. Here to talk about it all is Michigan's top elections official, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Jocelyn, welcome back to Detroit today. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. It is good to see you in person for the first time in, I think, maybe more than two years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. That's so strange, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) as do you. Thanks. Okay, so as I said, we're just over a month away from the November elections, Mm -hmm. and it's an off year for the legislature and Congress, and of course there's no presidential election, but there are plenty of municipal issues. Uh, that have really big implications for cities, Mm -hmm. including Detroit. Uh, This is the first November election since 2020, which has continued to be the subject of false conspiracy theories and baseless claims Mm -hmm. uh, about fraud. But how are those far-right GOP talking points affecting election officials' ability to prepare for this year's elections? You know, it means they have to prepare for the elections with two additional challenges. One, facing ongoing threats from people who are uh, absorbing these sort of deceitful information and trying to uh, act on it or making threats against election officials. And it also means they've got an added need to cut through the noise and educate voters that nothing has changed in how you vote in Michigan. There's been lots of chatter, lots of conversations, and lots of, I think, ill-informed policy suggestions that perhaps may change in the future how we run elections. But right now, people have options to vote. They have a right to vote absentee. They can get that absentee ballot just as they have in every other election, particularly in last year's. They can return it at a drop box or through the mail. Uh, or they can vote in person and their precincts will be open. So democracy is a train that's going to keep running and it's going to do so securely and accessibly for every citizen. And our focus is on that even amidst this current challenge. Uh, So you talked about threats that Mm -hmm. elections officials are facing. Are you having a hard time keeping people that you need in place to, to make sure that elections happen the way they're supposed to? Yeah, I think it's created a lot of challenges. We've lost some of our best election administrators over the past year, not just in Michigan, but in other states as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thankfully, we've seen more citizens step up, and a lot of election administrators stay and want to do more and to fight back and defend democracy. You know, Janice Winfrey, the Detroit city clerk, was before Congress a few months ago talking about the threats she received Mm -hmm. over the past year. So, And she's administering elections this fall, Mm. and that's the same for another number of other municipal clerks around the state. So I think it's important for us to remember their, their job is to make democracy work. They're continuing to do so amidst these threats. But these threats have become an unfortunate reality for a lot of us, and it's really counter to what we should be as a society, but also what these folks deserve. I mean, they've run successful elections in the midst of a pandemic, mm-hmm. high turnout elections. We should be celebrating that. Mm. So I, I do want to catch up with you on the redistricting commission, yeah. which is something I'm really focused on. I have been really excited to see the work progress and see preliminary maps come out and mm-hmm. now I feel like we're even getting closer to the end. I know that you are the person, the official who uh, who supervises that process. I want to get your sense of what you're seeing and whether it's 
what you expected to see, but also address some of the, I guess, exploding heads yeah. <laughs> reaction to, yeah. to these maps. They look different than yes. what we're used to. Well, they're drawn in a different way with an eye towards different factors. But I think the first and foremost thing we need to remember is that politicians and folks who've drawn these maps in the past got the data, the census data, much earlier mm -hmm. than this commission did because of the pandemic. They mm -hmm. got the data a month ago. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to meet a deadline that was set assuming you get the data in April. And, uh, and we really have to, I think, you know, be respectful of the fact that they are doing an extraordinary amount of work in a short amount of time uh, in transparent and open view, which is also something that the lawmakers never did. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think they're, they're doing a good job under an extraordinary set of pressure and circumstances, and we also need to expect loud voices and entrenched interests to not be happy with maps that they previously could control the drawing of, and now they can't uh, in the same way. And so there's going to be a lot of people upset with mm. the maps because this, they're drawn with a, from, by different people with a different perspective. And, uh, and that is, in some ways, the mark of success of true independent maps when folks on both sides of the aisle are not happy with them. Do you feel like some of the criticism of the maps in terms of communities of interest, that is, mm -hmm. is the thing that's caught my attention more than anything else, is that mm -hmm. there are communities that get split up uh, yep. in, in these maps, and people, I think people's expectations are that that was not going to happen. Uh, can you can you talk about how people should be processing that? Well, com the communities of interest and the, the desire to keep them together in a district is an important one. And when we look to other states like California, what they had to overcome competing communities of interest. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have two communities in one geographic location mm -hmm. that have two different views on where they want to be. And, and what they often did in California was tell the communities to come up with a solution together. And I think those who are looking at this communities of interest, and particularly with a personal view in mind, have to also be solution-oriented. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a complicated issue that everyone wants to solve, but we can only do it if people are actually willing to come along and come up with solutions together and advise the commission on solutions as opposed to just saying, we don't like it, uh, which is, um, you know, in, in my view, we, we've all got to come together and develop solutions that comply with the law and also get these districts done. That's the idea of having citizens in charge, collaboration and, and, uh, and, and compromise. So there is going to be compromise, there is going to have to be collaboration, and I hope good faith citizens will take an eye towards that. I know our commissioners are trying to do the, their best in an extraordinary way, um, and I hope that you know that, that the many citizens who have views will recognize the need to, to weigh competing interests and come with a solution yeah. as opposed to simply just rejecting. Yeah. Uh, uh, quickly, before we run out of time, I do want to ask you about the backlog in available appointments. Uh, where where do we stand with all of that We now? have worked through the backlog, and right now we've got appointments available uh, for people who walk up to our office. People can, 80% of the people who come to our branches schedule their visit ahead of time, and they can do so online or by the phone. But we've got about 3,000 people a day across the state. 20% of our transactions are people walking up to the office, and they're either seen right away if they can be squeezed in, or they're given a time to come back later in the day or the next day. So the offices are working. We've worked through a lot of the backlog. There's still going to be times where um, the, the pandemic uh, causes offices to close, unfortunately, and we've seen that. Um, but we're moving forward and making good progress. And adding mobile offices, which we've added today, uh, also helps us bring services to the people yeah. in a new way. Yeah, I, I, I hear about people waiting for license tabs, though. Mm -hmm. After is that just part of the pandemic delay? Uh, we try to. There's some unique circumstances. Um, yeah. By and large, the aggregate data is showing that we're actually 
getting the tabs and, and one, one people can get tabs simply by going to a self-service station and having them printed right away at any Kroger or Meyer that has a service station so we're encouraging people to use the convenient options for them and we know as people and this is a new way of doing things in this state after after two decades of making very little change and uh, and so it's going to take time for folks to adjust to the new ways but they're much more convenient and efficient ways of doing business and getting their services done and I'm really positive and, and optimistic about the direction we're heading. Okay. Jocelyn Benson, always great to see you. Me too. Also, always great to have you here on the show. Thanks for coming by. Thanks. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow to catch up with Detroit Future City CEO Anik Goss about how the city can make its economic comeback more equitable. Special thanks to WDET General Manager Mary Zatina and WDET's Lisa Brancato for their help with the show today from the Grand Hotel. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station.